The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Today, we're going to be delving into some general sports and mental health kind of news. I think the, the new format format of the podcast is going to be, you know, one episode, we'll probably do a player spotlight. Next episode, we'll kind of just delve into some general, uh, general updates, general news as it relates to mental health and sports. Uh, for this uh, episode, we're going to kind of focus on a specific article or a topic or concept. Um, there's an article by Audrey Young. It was in the LA Times. It was kind of an op-ed um, story about, you know, kind of exploring whether youth sports are harming kids. Um, so just to kind of get into some of the stats uh, that this article kind of gets into, it says by age 13, you know, up to 70% of children have dropped out of organized sports it says evidence suggests that as young people compete more intensely in sports and gains in mental uh, sorry, as young people compete more intensely in sports, gains in mental wellness may be replaced by mental health challenges, particular to competitive athletes. They say pre-pandemic, up to 20% of college athletes experienced major depression. Uh, for young athletes competing at national and international levels, anxiety and depression were 20 to 45% uh, higher in some cases than those in the age-matched control groups. In one study of elite can Canadian swimmers, it even says that an eye-popping 68% met criteria for depression. And then they go on to say that it's increasingly evident that constant competition, year-round training, and injuries can all contribute to anxiety and depression in athletes. So, John, I'm going to kick it to you on this. Um, you know, when it comes to youth sports and, and kids, wellness, youth sports, and mental health, good thing, bad thing? Or where do you stand on that? Uh, well, of course, I'm going to say both. Um, I think when athletics is running and operating properly, it can be one of the best best places for kids mm -hmm. um, to, to be. I would say some of my feedback too, and I, I coached um, track and field for almost a decade um, ago, and there was like a switch. I remember even talking about it with, um, with, the, with the other coaches, not just on my team, but in the league in general, of like the competitiveness shifted from like competitiveness on what well, for me on the track to like competitiveness of getting into college. And, mm -hmm. and I heard many more conversations from both parents and from kids around, I need to be the best because it's going to help me get into college. And, um, I, I saw that as starting to be like connected, that my performance was a reflection of whether I was going to get into X and X as school well, my whole life or my whole life is outcomes. completely yeah. weighing yeah. on the fact that if I can't, if I can't run this time, yep. my life is over. Um, and I saw that and I, I think the, the college pipeline problem is what I call it of, I, I see that as a real issue. Um, and that could be, we could dedicate like an entire episode to talking about some of that stuff. But I think that the, as the importance of like college has like taken over and we've seen examples of, um, some not great stuff when it comes to, um, athletics and colleges recently this past year. But I think it's, it's, it's causing people to go about athletics in the wrong way. 
and I think we're seeing the results of that. You you mentioned um, you know the the single sport athlete that everybody is like spending. Well, okay, if I, if I need to, if I'm going to get myself into this college, I need to be the best basketball player. And so if I play basketball year round, that's going to in- increase my chances of doing that. But then you also in the same article talks about that the leading cause uh, for mental health issues is injury, mm-hmm. and the leading in, the leading cause for injury is playing a sport year round. So playing a sport year round means that the mental health issues are probably going to be at a greater risk. And one of the questions that I ask myself all the time is like, are we like, we do a lot of mental performance training and a lot of mental skills and mental toughness stuff in terms like to help athletes cope with the anxieties and things of sports, but just to make them better performers, not on the, you know, not in their athletics, but just in general. And are we creating a solution that like we to a problem that we caused, right? Mm-hmm. By, you know, I see a lot of removal of joy and a lot of removal of just go to play because you enjoy playing with you're here to get yourself into school. And that connection, I feel like, is a big major issue for what we're what we're working up against. And it doesn't talk about that too much in the in the in the article, but that was a bit that's a big takeaway just from me and personal experience. Um, and what I've seen of like so much anxiety rides on how I'm performing because it like you said, it's it, it, it's like the gateway to the rest of my life and it's just yeah. it's not about that and there's too 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 much of that that goes that goes into that i agree and i think if i try if i had to characterize where i see the problem I, it's not sports just as like with with academics like I, I don't think it's an academic issue that people are burnt out and especially in in the northeast in massachusetts where we are you know students being burnt out around the academic rigor and academic pressure it's a pretty common thing i think it's well known at this point it's getting worse mm-hmm that doesn't mean academics are the problem. It doesn't right. mean the school is the problem necessarily. And I think the problem is how I would describe it is like it's just a general over competitiveness, mm-hmm. right? So again, we, we t- I think we talked in the last episode about trying to find this balance between being locked in and, com- and competing when we're committing to a sport or anything else, while also being able to take that hat off as soon as the competition ends and be a, a bit more well-rounded in our lives and be happy and, and look for things that sort of gen- uh, drive a general balance and wellness. I don't think people. I don't think young people are in that. I think they're they're being driven to be completely hyper competitive. Mm-hmm. Competition is a good thing. Wanting to win is a good thing. Being hyper competitive, whether it's in academics or in sports, to the point where you're being told if you don't do X Y Z, your whole life, right? Either you're being told directly or indirectly, like mm-hmm. in not so many words, that your whole life hinges mm-hmm. on these types of things. That's a hyper competitiveness that goes well beyond what's healthy, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. I think that's what's burning kids out. I don't think it's necessarily. Um, that sports are too sports themselves are too competitive. Mm-mm. I think it's, and I don't want to put it all on parents, but I think like parents and society and maybe culturally, um, kids are kind of being fed direct and indirect messaging around like you have to you have to be the best at this age in this way or else, mm-hmm. right? And that's yeah. what I think what leads to to burning out and leads to elevated anxiety. Because think about that, like how could you not be anxious if you feel like your entire life hinges on one moment when you're 16 or 15 right. or whatever, yeah. right? Every wrong step could mean your life is over. Absolutely, right? <laughs> right? So I don't think we can like isolate that as caused by sports or, or academics or that kind of thing. Um, and again, it doesn't it doesn't mean competition is a bad thing. It just means mm-hmm. we have to kind of rein things in a little bit. Yep. Um, let kids be kids, encourage them to be competitive, but also not hinge their entire life outcome like, you know, still teens you know yeah. what I mean? yeah i mean the, that stat of 70 percent drop out by 13 was it's that's staggering right that that should really for any parent or for anyone out there that has a kid who's into athletics that number should scare you mm-hmm. right 70 percent of kids stop playing athletics by 13 that's that's wild and 
um, when I do work with athletes, one of the main things we uh, we go through what I call a hero assessment. It sort of just like gets a, an assessment on them as an athlete and as a person. And one of the qu- the first questions is like, why did you start playing sports? Like, why did you start playing lacrosse, baseball, soccer, whatever it is? And to paraphrase, but generally, it's because I loved it. Right? I loved playing. Mm-hmm. And that changes somewhere along the way. And it probably starts, it seemingly happens much like by 13, a 14 year old when high school kicks in. And that, like you were talking about, like that just too competitive, like that, that environment, too, too much focused on mm-hmm. be the best, got to be competitive. Everything matters. You know, you can't make a mistake, all those different things. Um, and I think that's a, I think that's a real major issue because somewhere along the lines, you remove joy from performance and you replace it with just be the best be super competitive Mm -hmm. and there's got to be a continuous continual balance like you should be able to get joy from being competitive but there's no there's no room for both anymore it's and it feels like the 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 scale has really tipped and you you've talked about too like it's not about being overly competitive or like everybody come here for participation exactly. been like that's not exactly. that's not healthy that's not for anybody healthy either, either yeah. right yeah. and it's it's it, we as a society always can't seem to figure out that it's always the combination of both it's the gray area. polarities yeah. it's always the gray area yeah. and we just because we're always seeking like what's well, it's this it's this right and that contributes to yeah, the competitiveness we need it to be one thing, right? Right? Be yes. one thing. Yeah. We, we we for whatever reason have this issue with being able to sort of like, well, let's pull from the benefits and competitiveness totally. and let's pull from the benefits of like Absolutely. feeling good about competing yep. and feeling that you're a part of something and combine that both. Yeah. And we just, for whatever reason, have a hard time doing it. And the problem is, is athletics haven't figured it out. And in fact, I think they're leaning more towards the the competitiveness and it's, it's having a major issue on, on our kids. Yeah, I agree with you. I, and I think uh, one thing that a question that kind of comes to mind is what, what role, I want to get your input on like what role you think parents and coaches play parents like from a general parenting direction standpoint but also parents like in the moment on sidelines i think what comes to mind for me is like how many parents kind of live vicariously through their kids or even if they don't they just can't rein themselves in on the sidelines i feel like i might be over, over you know reading into this but from what i've seen it seems like you know over uh, overzealous parental sideline action has just kind of gotten worse. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like in years, uh, re- more recent years, I could be wrong on that. Um, and I don't know that coaches have re- on the whole, at least to the level they need to have really caught up with understanding like how to provide this types of type of balance because parents and kids, kids are too young parents, you know, they're kind of biased and they want the best for their kids. Sometimes they go too far with that. I feel mm-hmm. like coaches, need to recognize that and be able to sort of be the the stable force that's going to help um, balance parents and balance kids. And I think that's asking a lot of coaches, mm-hmm. but we see that in our work. I think we balance those things, right? Parents have have preferences and they have needs mm-hmm. and, and, and their kids might have some too. And sometimes they don't always match up. And I think when you're in a coaching role or even a therapist role, you have to be able to balance all those things. Yep. Um, so that's a lot of, I just asked you like nine questions in one, but what do you think about that in general? The, the one that stood out to me was like when you were talking about like the roles of parents and coaches and sort of some things and sort of a, a shameless plug. I hate doing it, but I'm going to, but a uh, book I just released the coaching zone with, mm-hmm. um, John Yeager talks a lot about like a coach's role yep. and some very specific things that you can do to tackle some of these, these issues that might come up internally yep. within your team. Um, and then, so just some, just some good ways of balancing everything and goes into sort of how to balance the competitiveness and the joy and sort of how to culminate both of those things. So uh, maybe a little biased, obviously, but highly recommend that as a read. Um, but the the parents role, I think is really, I found myself doing a lot of this. And I think 
the hyper competitiveness has, I agree. I think there's definitely the parents who want to live vicariously through their kids. And so they're giving them advice or telling them they sort of start falling into this like coach's role. And then there's parents who are like, well, I just want the best for my, for my kid. And they start sort of either disagreeing with the coach's approach and offering different things to do, um, or just not, you know, not being there as a support of like, I loved watching you play. Mm -hmm. Did you have fun when you were out there? What was the, what was the highlight of your, of your game? Of, of, of What was the highlight moment for your, for your game? And I think I noticed the shift again, when I was coaching of overhearing conversations like that from parents and then starting to shift of like, Hey, I saw this and your, your parent started falls into the like analytics role of like a coach. Like, Oh, you, you made, five bad passes here and you need to work on such and such, right? That's not the parent's job. The parent's role is really meant to be like a support and to continuously remind them of why they're here, mm -hmm. right? This is something that's really meaningful to you and you have purpose behind it and you have joy behind it. And I'm going to support that. And the coach's role is to analyze play and to give you yeah. some concrete yep. skills on that as well. And that balance I think is really important. And one of the biggest struggles, honestly, for me as a coach sometimes was managing parents and, and managing like what the expectations was and getting feedback of, um, you know, well, you know, coach Kuna, you should be doing this because so-and-so on the Olympic level is doing these workouts. And it's like, well, okay, great. But we're in high school here and they're not capable of doing eight, 400s at sub 60 yeah. like like they can't do the things you know and i think that brings up another issue of i think that access to information while great um in athletics i think has sort of empowered parents mostly but also athletes to sort of it introduces a little bit of doubt for for them of like well i'm seeing that these things are really good but my coach is doing these so things it sounds really like they're good. over advocating yeah, yeah and yeah and i think over advocating, I think, is a good way to put it. I also think of like they're they're being a coach, and anytime any sort of doubt injects itself into a team dynamic, it is it can be catastrophic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You lose faith in the coach, you lose faith in the team. Mm -hmm. You start doing things, it you be, it be, it becomes cancerous, really, and that's come with like the access to like athletes can post their workouts. You can follow an athlete now and see what they're doing, and be like, why aren't we doing these types of things? Um, and that just contributes to some of the like the the downfall of that. And I think again, if where there's a clear understanding of what roles are meant to be, that type of stuff can kind of get sort of taken care of. Uh, parents' role are there, like I said, like did you have fun? Loved watching you play. What was a highlight for your moment? Like I give parents who have a hard time not being a coach. Mm -hmm giving them some of that language um, has yeah. been as helpful for the kid to understand. Like we've talked about the, how do I separate from being competitive and go back to like just being a kind person in general. And that helps them do that. Right. Those two roles help them be like when you're here with the, you know, with the coach, okay, mm -hmm. how do we keep working towards this? How do we be competitive? How do we move towards that? And then having that balance in that other place, I think is really helpful, but I think it's been a little bit skewed recently. Well, ironically, what you're describing will make them a better athlete and will make right. them love the sport. This is what like, par right. I know parents do this because like they want yeah. their kid to be successful and they right. want their kid to succeed and yeah, elevate it comes to the highest level. Place. It yeah. comes from a good place. Usually. Yep. But ironically, like, if they want that, if they're able to compliment, like you said, compliment the coach, compliment the sport by actually approaching it from a different angle as a parent, mm -hmm. particularly right after the game, you're actually going to uh, position your kid to be the most successful. That's the way you're best utilized as a parent. Mm -hmm. So I think what you described is kind of like the what comes to mind for me is like the how and the when when it comes to parents um, intervening um, with yeah. regard to their kids' sports. You described the how. When matters too, right? So like how you do it 
is the style you just described. And I think it's really key, right? Being a, being a compliment in the way that you kind of uh, play off what the coach is doing, play off what the athlete's doing. You kind of like come from a different angle to make them more well-rounded mm-hmm. when matters too, right? Like if I could say to parents, like the number one thing I've seen that I would encourage parents to stop doing is not only like just trying to be a, th- a third, co- a second coach or a third coach or whatever, yeah. but particularly doing it right after the game. <laughs> I think most young athletes are, they're going to be hardest, they're going to be harder on themselves than anyone else is. Whether they, sh- you see that or not, internally it's happening, yep. right? So if you try to, you know, nitpick about everything they did wrong in the game right after the game on the ride home, I mean, it is not, it's just going to alienate them from you. Mm-hmm. It's going to make them feel worse about themselves. And it's going to ultimately piss them off and ruin the sport for them, most likely. So I think, you know, there's a time and a place to get into the X's and O's if you really need to, and mm-hmm. if the if you think your kid will actually respond well for that or from that coming from you wants to or wants to right. right. Uh, but it's definitely not after the game. And look, there's probably some athletes that may come out and say like, I think every athlete kind of needs their own tailored coaching approach, right? We've mm-hmm. seen that. How yeah. Some athletes love to have a fire lit. And other athletes, you need to massage things a little bit more and really come at it from a calm, emotionally aware angle. Uh, to to motivate and get the most out of them. Mm-hmm. So everyone's a little bit different. So I'm sure there's athletes out there that like they want to get into it when it's fresh. Maybe. Yep. I think that's the large minority of of, of especially of kids. Yep. I think they're so hard on themselves that after the game they just need a, a chance to kind of recoup and get some separation, like you said. Mm-hmm. And then later that day or maybe the next day is the time, if at all, if anything, maybe you just wait for the give some feedback. If I was doing it from the parenting perspective, I'd get I would give my feedback to the coach just based on what I'm seeing with no expectations mm-hmm. um, in case they want to incorporate that into their approach with my kid. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, they don't because I trust, I would try to trust them to do their, their job as the, as the, as the coach, but I definitely wouldn't hammer, hammer the kid uh, with that stuff right after the game. Cause I just think that backfires. Yeah. I think you have to, I think you just have to ask the kid, right? I yeah. think we're like, do you want my feedback, right? Do yep. you want it? You know, when, when, when are you best able to receive the information? I agree. Most athletes, most people in general are their harshest yeah. critic. So hearing more criticism right after either a, a loss or a big mistake or something like that, the timing probably isn't going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, some people actually thrive on that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we best, we typically base our decisions off what works for us mm-hmm. um, in regards to like when we want feedback or when we give feedback. So Or how we show love. Or, or how we show love things. or any yeah, of those yeah. things, right? We operate on our own understandings yes. of ourselves yeah. and then put it onto other people, which is can be problematic. We won't get into that. It leads to mismatches, right? Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so I think talking about it with with your with your athlete I think is really helpful. And you know, to your to your example of like share feedback with the coach, again, I also would sort of that could be a conversation you could have with a kid of like, look, I know that, you know, giving you feedback sometimes, you know, it, 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 you don't want that feedback right away. I don't want to, I don't want to get into a position where I'm, a, I'm feeling like I'm a coach. I'm here to support you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to make sure you're still having fun playing the game. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want me to give feedback to the coach so that they're aware so that uh, that information can come through there? I think like involving them in that component is really, is really, really helpful. And to the point of the article of like how sports is, contributing to this mental health piece i think it's a real shame because for a lot of and especially young guys who are athletes that is like their one source of joy mm-hmm. and escape and um process and benefit for their own mental health and then if it now if it's becoming another contributor i'm really fearful of like what do they have left, right? I think one of the things that I work on a lot with athletes is like through injury recovery, right? So they've lost their sport Mm -hmm. and they spiral. They don't have anything else to support themselves in. And now if athletics becomes another contributing factor of like that spiral, Mm -hmm. 
I really worry for those kids of like now they're not even needing to be injured to not have to like be away from the sport. They're so anxious and depressed about just even being there in general. They're gonna you the the numbers support it. People are not playing anymore. They're mm-hmm. quitting by you know by thirteen and on the mass majority, and that brings up a you know putting on the fortune teller lens i really worry about the the future consequences of doing that stuff and i think there's a lot of stuff that we really need to do within youth athletics um to really ship to really balance things out and i know that in these types of situations i've talked about polarity management in general but we have a tendency of like this isn't working so let's go to the exact opposite Mm -hmm. and try to do that and then again it kind of will lead to the participation trophy scenario which doesn't help anybody right people don't actually feel great if they've lost a game and they get a trophy saying thanks for showing up people don't actually feel great about that i I, i've had enough experience with that and uh, you know argue with me if you like to come on the show and tell me otherwise but i just i know that that just that that doesn't actually help anybody um feel good about themselves of being because they're they're in their head and they'll be like i lost i didn't work hard we we don't deserve this we didn't earn this there is something about earning something and working hard for it not to say that you can't work hard and still lose but getting a trophy because you showed up is just it doesn't it doesn't help reinforce any positive behaviors i agree the equivalent of that is like and we see this with young with young kids where their parents when parents try to shift the parenting perspective they will often you know positive reinforcement is known to be a good thing Mm -hmm. but it has to be applied in the right way Mm -hmm. you overly reinforce with positivity or with praise on, on p- something that's not on par with the act the kid did, right? So it's like you're heaping praise based on something that was done at this level and what they did was at this level. Kids see right through that. And yeah. it actually, like, it has the opposite. It has a negative effect Yep. because they, now they don't believe you. They don't trust you as a parent because it's like kids see right through. They know they actually kids tend to default to thinking their parents are just fluffing them up because they have to, right? You're my parent. You yeah, have yeah, to say yeah. that. You have to say that. So, you, yeah, so my, I think – Right. So like, look, is, is giving praise better than like, you know, ridiculing? Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like, we don't want verbal abuse. So like, that's not helpful either. Right. But giving praise that's not on par with the act is very risky. It can often backfire because it diminishes trust and the kid won't believe a word you say. Yeah. And this is the equivalent of that. If you like, I get why parents do it. They're pendulum swinging to the other side because they think they've burnt kids out on competition. So it's like, let's do the opposite to, to balance that out. And then, you know, when you're averaging out everything, we end up in a good place. That is not how things work in real life. You can't just provide the polar opposite and expect the average to play out in a perfect way for everyone. No. It has to be incremental change, and you still want to actually start with what the right balance is, and hopefully things shift to that instead of starting way on the other side mm-hmm. and hoping things shift to the middle. Um, you also brought up like delivery method and uh, things not, you know, styles or preferences not matching up, right? Where we coach the way we want to be coached instead mm-hmm. of the way someone maybe needs to be coached. Yep. This reminds me of that, um, the episode on the Ertzes we did, uh, mm. Jack and Julie, uh, Julie and Zach Ertz um, and relationships. We got into love languages and this is kind of similar. So I would encourage people to listen to that episode because mm-hmm. yes, love languages doesn't necessarily directly relate to coaching, but mm-hmm. it does relate to understanding that like how we receive love is not how someone else prefers to receive it. So that when we deliver that, we might have to, we have to do it through the lens of what they need, not how we prefer to get it. Yep. Coaching is very similar, right? Mm-hmm. If we just, if, you know, to most coaches, they're like a hammer and to a hammer, everything's a nail, right? And that's just the way they approach it. The one size fits all approach. And that's not the best way to get the most out of people. I, I have one question and I wanted to uh, circle back around yeah. for you, John, in terms of like when it comes to the single sports stuff, um, what do you think causes the is is the are the injuries the, the increase of injuries by people focusing on a single sport is that due to 
too much strain on the same kind of muscles and, and processes like uh, from a physical standpoint or is it the absence of of keeping the body guessing by playing multiple stor- sports which makes you more well-rounded physically or is it both i don't know i'll put a disclaimer that i don't have like the research to back it up yeah. but my my educated guess would be yes right both. like for any muscle if you overutilize it it gets yeah. strained and yeah. breaks down mm-hmm. right and so um i think you listen to lebron talk about this listen to um there's a few other athletes i'm gonna put them in the show notes too but there's been a few athletes who have been pretty outspoken about the importance of being a three-sport athlete to your to your very point like if you're overutilizing muscles, you're going to break down. You're going to get strained. It also, um, and then you know, doing other athletes, you build other muscles, which is just going to make you a better athlete, well-rounded in executing in any different place. But the other thing too is that I, I do think that being surrounded by something like that in the environment that we currently have of this like ultra competitiveness. Mm-hmm that definitely wears people down just in general, right? Not, not from like a muscle standpoint, but just like a mentality yeah. fatigue of it just, it's, it's, it's too much mm-hmm. and shaking things up can be really helpful. Like, okay, there's a, there's a beginning, there's an end of when I can use these different skills or work on these different things. And then you've got some time off to totally separate from it, especially when you're at the age that these kids are at when they're doing these things is so important. And you get the, you know, the uprising of like AAU, mm-hmm. uh, which we can definitely talk about. I am not afraid to take on that Titan yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of programs that have been put in place that like encourage that. And I think we're at a part right now that's kind of problematic because like the best competition now are in some of these like year round programs. And I just... I have a lot of issues yeah. with that for multitude of reasons, but yes, to your point, I think it. I think if you're jumping up and down or running suicides or basketball or running up and down, if you're using those same muscles every single day, you're way more likely to get injured. Again, maybe we could bring on a doctor or a physical therapist mm-hmm. who could put some more knowledge into yeah. my head. But that's just my experience of what I've what I've seen. Yeah. Um. And I think there's. I think there's a lot of value of being if you're an athlete to be a three sport athlete if you can but to get some some get some separation from it every once in a while you know if you're, if you're a professional athlete and your livelihood depends on it that's different but you're not a professional at 13 14 years old you're mm-hmm. a kid right and yeah. i think that you need to i think for a whole different reason i think that one of the other things too is that it it helps you understand that there are multiple facets that help you feel good yeah and from like a macro level right if if one of the things when people are injured from athletics they're like my whole world is over i'm I'm only an athlete and if you can start to understand like oh i can be great at at soccer and feel good there i can play um softball or baseball and feel and feel good there Mm -hmm. you start to build that idea that there are multiple components of who i am that make me feel good so then when you have to have those conversations either if they're injured or just in general yeah they're better prepared and understand kind of what you're talking about that yeah. you can get joy from different places, not just this one thing, so that when it's gone, you're lost and sinking into a hole. You've developed experience of shifting from different things that make you feel good. Yeah, so it's almost like you're you're describing kind of being well-rounded from an athletic and physical perspective, but also from an identity perspective. Yes. And I think that's huge. The yep. example I like to give is like um, tires being rotated on a car, right? Mm-hmm. If you leave tires on a car in the same, same four spots for the entire life of the car, what happens, right? The same parts of the tread get worn down. Yep. It often leads to a, a, a domino effect impacting other parts of the car, the suspension, other things, which is why you rotate the tires to keep them balanced. I think when it comes to playing multiple sports, 
it's kind of the same effect, right? Yeah. You have to keep your body guessing and you have to wear, you know, work on different muscles to stay balanced so that the same tread, part of the tread doesn't keep getting worn out. Yep. And that's from a physical perspective and from an identity or uh, perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because how many times have we seen these athletes that, you know, the pro ones that really do succeed, once that's that part of their life is, you know, they retire, it's taken away. It leaves them so vulnerable to, to the next steps. Whereas if they were well-developed in, uh, in terms of identity the whole time, they'd be able to pick up where they left off on some other passion or purpose and they'd be good to go, yep. right? Which we've seen. Justin Forsett's an example of this. Oh, yeah. he, he he did the equivalent of rotating the tires early on in his career yeah. by putting something else in place that he was passionate about. And as soon as the career ended, which, I mean, no one expected him to last as long as he did in the NFL. So right. just that alone is an incredible accomplishment. He went right into his business, right? And in terms of being an entrepreneur and hit the ground running and never looked back. So yep. I think it's a great example of that. And two things I want to kind of uh, wrap up with today uh, I like to give examples of of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in different ways. And for people listening who hate on those two, be, deal with it. If you don't like them, <laughs> it might mean that you're the type that doesn't want to be in the room with smarter people. So I'm just like, yeah. like you gotta, you can't deny uh, the rings and the success, right? And anyone yeah. who's done that, whether it's a hometown, you know, coach and player, or it's your rival, you gotta respect mm-hmm. that. I mean, Derek Jeter kind of comes to mind for me. I always yeah, Phil Jackson, another example of and, no, and Kobe, yeah, yeah, another Jordan, yeah. multiple great examples. So, yeah. so the examples I like to give for Brady. It's like when it comes to being competitive, we talked about how he's able to like hone in and lock in on the field, but off the field, it's a different approach, right? Mm-hmm. And he's able to switch gears very quickly. I think that also plays into who he's competing against because yes, on the, on the field in the game, he's competing against his opponent. But if you really look at what Tom Brady, you listen to what he says, he's actually competing within himself. Everything, that's why he says the, the best ring is the next one because it's not about winning. It's not about getting to some place where he'll finally accept himself. It's not about crushing some person he hates. It's about what can I get out of my life and what, how high can I take this? Mm-hmm. So when I get a ring, it's about, okay, enjoy that for a day, reset. How can I challenge myself to get to the next level? So it's, it's, an, ego, it's an ego-less, self-challenging, puzzle-solving process. And mm-hmm. I think that's the healthiest way to view competition because it keeps you in a good place because you're just trying to see what you're capable of, mm-hmm. but not because you got to prove anything to yourself. Right. You know what I mean? And when athletics operate the way that they're supposed to, you get that. Yes. And I think that's the danger of where some of the stuff that we're seeing now is coming up. I think that's why we're talking about yeah. it to put some alarms out there. But that's what you just described is like one of the biggest goals of what athletics can teach us of like accomplish something awesome, yep. move on to the next thing and keep pushing yourself. And that's one of the biggest things that like as coaches, you know, I hope, but that was always a big thing for me. It was like, it was never really about like how fast you're running. Sure. Yeah. That makes you feel good, but it's yeah. much more about like work hard. It works. Yeah. Keep pushing, keep pushing yourself, learn what that feels like. And I, I think it's just one of the best things about athletics. And I think it's, it's slipping away a yeah, little bit. Yeah. I agree. I think the, the, the Belichick example I want to give real quick is that if, you know, one thing that stands out stands out about Bill Belichick is that when everyone else is zigging, he zags, right? He he really is like a, a, a I think he shifts dynamics in, in, within the league, right? If everyone else is trying to have a certain type of quarterback and trying to run this type of offense, he kind of builds his team to be like one of thirty two, kind of like, and then gradually people copy him and it shifts, and then he zags again, right? I think there's there's lessons that can be learned from that. Like if everybody's zigging it might be an opportunity for a person to zag and actually stand out. And this is from a, a sports perspective, but also from like a uh, college prep, you know, SAT scores, obsession mm-hmm. with that kind of like, if everyone is is trying to like, you know, work with an SAT coach and get a, a 1600 on their SATs and have everything perfect, like you're going to just, unless you, if you can do it at that level, fine, right? If you can be at the top, go right ahead and do it. 
But if you can't, like you got to do something to stand out. And I think that's where it's maybe helpful for people to zag, if every, especially because if there's all this pressure to do all these things perfectly, and you can zag in a way and kind of make yourself well-rounded and stand out in a, in a different way from everybody else. One, you stay in a better place in terms of your mental health, and two, you actually stand out in a good way that makes you get where you want to get. So mm-hmm. I think lessons can be taken from both those people, and, and that's the example I'd like to give from, from a Belichick perspective. Yeah. Um, so that is it for today. I want to thank everyone uh, for listening. If you view our, um, you know, our, our episodes on YouTube, please hit subscribe. Leave a comment on one of the episodes. We love to interact with people. Um, we will respond to anything, right? Even if people troll. Uh, we will definitely engage just to just to kind of keep the dialogue going because I think it will help us do our job better. So I want to thank everyone for listening to the Grim Drive podcast for this discussion about uh, youth sports and whether they are good or bad. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Nice.